and welcome to the Common Good Podcast, the podcast that showcases the very best of Glasgow Caledonian University and how the institution, its staff and its research benefits people and communities both at home and overseas. My name is Craig Telfer and today I am speaking with Peter Yetten, the head of GCU's Visa Immigration Support and Advice Team, to talk about the challenges that lie ahead for recruiting overseas students in the wake of Brexit and the coronavirus pandemic. Peter, thank you very much for joining me on today's show. Pleasure, Craig. How are you? I'm well, I'm well. How are you? The last time you and I would have spoken, Peter, in this podcast would have been 18 months ago. And that's, I was, we we're doing that face to face. It was a, a simpler time, a better time. <laughs> How have things been for you over the last 12 months? Wow, was that 18 months ago? Um, yeah, well, it's been a challenge, hasn't it? Mm. It's been, yeah, I think the probably the important thing was to think about looking back is that everyone's been in the same boat, really. So, yeah, I, I think it's been interesting. It's been interesting for the students and it's been really interesting for us of how we've actually uh, coped with this back in sort of February. I think my initial thoughts really, I actually think the university reacted incredibly well um, and very quickly um, mm-hmm. to the changes when, 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 we, when it happened in the sort of, when was that, February? Around February time, March? March, yeah. March, March. yeah. I mean, we sort of knew it was going to be ramping up around sort of February, but I thought, yeah, the reactions uh, of everyone I thought was phenomenal. And the academic staff getting everything online very quickly and the student support being there yeah it didn't surprise me because obviously that's what gcu is, is pretty famous for but it was just lovely to see it in action uh, and you tend to only to see it in sort of pockets wherever you work in different areas in the uni but this was a you saw an overall coming together of of everything so yeah it was good it was well, good. It's not the word, right <laughs> word. Um, yeah, I suppose it was. I mean, looking at the positives that you have to try and do in life all the time, it, it was a good exercise. It was a very good test for us. It was a live scenario. It wasn't even an exercise. It was a live thing we had to do. And I felt that we all, we all came out with the right thought process, which is keeping the student totally in the center, in the hub of our decision-making process. Yeah. And that hasn't stopped really throughout. How about yourself, Peter? How have you found adapting to working from home? It's been a bit of a strange one. Um, I'm quite a team guy. I was, yeah, I'm a massive team team player, and I, I always enjoy being around people. I'm, I've also got this thing in the back of my head where, if the world collapsed tomorrow, I'd do quite well on, on an island, growing crops and surviving. <laughs> like, um, yeah. So there's a part of me where I, I do quite like my own space. But um, I think as the lockdown has continued, probably later in 2020, I really craved contact uh, with just people just seeing people in interaction the first sort of six to eight months it was really quite enjoyable I have to say um, just trying to find a work format which I've been trying to promote for quite a while now which is really encouraging people to get a better balance in life with their work and their home and that the two can be absolutely interlinked and and mm-hmm. still perform really well and I think if you're happy within your own life anyway and work doesn't become a negative effect to that then you're going to be far more proactive and productive and and just generally you'll go the extra mile yeah and i think that's what uh, my team did work now and again at home before covid uh, and it worked really well but thrusting the entire team into this home environment yeah everyone uh, everyone reacted very well to it i have to say about personally i, I might i came out of this really really enjoying working from home i enjoyed the enjoy my own routine I don't stick to a given routine as well just because I'm also homeschooling and my wife works from home as well so it's a case of just trying to balance all of that but the yeah. uni have been really good and allowed that flexibility yeah. so effectively your, your day doesn't really start at 
nine and end at five. Mm-hmm. You might dip in really early on the morning and then you might have to do school between nine and 10.30 and then back in again. So, uh, and everyone's understood that as the lockdowns continued, Craig, everyone's really understood the meeting thing with Zoom and it, it, it was very structured at the start of it. And now it's, it's quite sporadic and you can jump on calls really easily. I think yeah. that's the nice bit. Instead of having to book a room, get everyone to leave their offices, come into an area, the, the whole process of that, it's quite easy for my, for my team just to say, guys, someone's come in, can you drop everything and jump on for five minutes? And literally everyone's in front of you. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, it's been good. That's been good. I think from a team perspective, we've always been a close unit and we've always cared about the, the well-being and, and we're quite into mindfulness, any, mindfulness as a team anyway. So that's really important about how we all click and how everyone operates and having some sort of headroom but what this brought this highlighted uh when it's the next level really so i became really aware that not everyone is sitting with pets and partners and all sorts right so um that connection became a lot closer we had, I had like a, a funny whatsapp group where everyone would post sort of daft jokes and memes and various <laughs> things that was going uh, yeah, and that, that kept us all connected, really. And, and it, some of it was obviously pretty business sort of chat, but nothing nothing sensitive. It was just like someone's come in, guys, can you jump on, the, on this call or jump on this email? Uh, yeah, and the team have reacted really well to it, I have to say. And they, they really, really quickly changed the processes for the students. That was a brilliant piece of work, which I asked them to go away and come up with a solution for, for doing visa submissions online because obviously we couldn't see students anymore yeah. face-to-face. And what they came up with was just brilliant. Uh, and the students actually preferred it and it cut down on time and it, good. Um, yeah, it's good. Good, that is, I'm pleased to hear that. I'm pleased to hear that you and the team are responding to, it's yeah. always a challenging time for everyone at the university and everyone in the, in the UK and mm. around the world, Peter. Now, as you mentioned at the start, we're going to be looking at the, the impact that the Brexit and coronavirus pandemic has had. Mm. But before we do, I'm going to start with a very, very thick question. Yeah. Why is it important that universities in Scotland recruit students from overseas? God, that could, I could give you an answer that would be here for about three hours. Uh, so, <laughs> um, to someone, like I say, it's a thick question. So someone who's not yeah, very yeah. bright like myself, how would you explain oh, it? Yourself, yourself. All right. So, <laughs> uh, so I think the important thing really is just taking, just taking students out of it. Just ha- living in a country that has international travel inbound, right? And then you're able to travel outbound. It's only going to raise your your cultural awareness of everything around. It's going to give you empathy of different areas of the world. And that's going to really broaden your horizons of how you, your levels of acceptability. And that will then shape society, right? So your society is far more accepting when you have far more people who are in from different cultures and different areas and different challenges. And that's the area that you want to live in. Well, for me, it is anyway, and I'm sure for you as well. So without that, you end up being, you feel like quite a secular island. Now, given the fact of now we've exited from EU as well, we definitely do now feel like an island, whereas opposed to we're part of something bigger. So the need to retain uh, or be international, um, the challenges are significant because it's not so easy now for some people to come into the UK. Hasn't really changed, I have to say, for international, international students because they always needed a visa. The only thing that's changed is that for EU students who have now who don't have pre-settled or settled status and that criteria is set by how long they've been in the UK previously, um, they, will, they are now international students, right? So the ones that haven't okay. got the settled status now have to apply for a visa. So the importance of both for Scotland is demographics in Scotland is, is top heavy. There's quite a lot of elderly people in Scotland. A lot of sort of young blood uh, when they get qualified tend to, 
leave, exit, and find fame and fortune elsewhere. Do tend to come back in their mid forties, but they do tend to travel. And I think that's just because Scotland is very internationally focused, and the opportunities are there for people to do that. And I think that's in that's in that 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 that, that mindset. So. The importance of bringing international people right now is that there are definitely definitely skill shortages in Scotland and in the UK as a whole. There are, there are areas of business where we have uh, we don't have enough people. The the way that the country sits, obviously everything's sort of central belt heavy population wise, and then obviously it goes up to Aberdeen and uh, and and Inverness and Dundee, um, and it's really important to to bring in and start to um, really bolster the population by having investment coming in from from elsewhere and that will just encourage a far more diverse country as mm. as a country that we're meant to offer sort of uk plc so i can't really i'm not gonna get political i can't really see independence being offered to be honest with you or happening again All right so let's just say that we're always going to be part of the uk we've got to be really we've got to just make that a platform for an attractive platform for people to come into and it starts with that student journey really is there a financial aspect as well about getting overseas students yeah, into yeah. scottish universities yeah definitely yeah so um so i don't think people appreciate uh, when they talk about immigration it's always been a bit of a dirty word in some from some media outlets right but immigration is massively important um to the benefit of, of every country but when you look at immigration in terms of students they they pay a significant amount of fees for their courses so on average an undergrad course between 11 and 13,000 that obviously that will range to different universities and uh, postgrad uh, similar sort of figures for 15,000 odd now that in itself you need that as as the lifeblood of another income stream coming in so from a university if you look at it like a business you never rely on one income stream for a business right because mm-hmm. it will just it'll just collapse and and uh, taps can run, can run dry and anything can happen to a country where that you recruit from where you will end up not having those students so a civil war turmoil the country could actually become very developed and then they don't need to then outsource education yeah. they have a very good system internally which a lot of countries are now striving for so your streams of income really you have some funding from the government you'll have uh, definitely income stream from um, from students then you'll have um, grants and then you'll also have uh, re- research funding and other funding areas where you can get money from massively important though significant for for us i mean we're we're not massively international compared to some universities, but sort of 10% international in, across the entire two campuses or Glasgow and, and, and London, keeping New York out of this for the, for the moment. But London is like probably 80 or 5% international. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that campus is very international. And that's really important for us to keep that, that, that real good hotbed mm-hmm. of activity. That, that's, that's brilliant, Peter. That's, we've got a good sense now of how important it is to bring yeah. uh, overseas students in. Tell me then, how has the coronavirus pandemic impacted on that? Yeah, well, so it went a bit of a double whammy. So the first thing was COVID that we had to deal with. And then at the end of that, then we had exit in the EU, which then sort of became less of a concern, to be honest, yeah, compared to the challenges we faced with COVID. Mm-hmm. So the initial stage with COVID, what happened was a lot of students obviously quite sensibly went back home because they were just worried about their safety and want to be near their families. The Home Office have been phenomenally understanding. They've been really good throughout this entire process. They've been absolutely engaged with the sector. They have allowed a huge amount of um, relaxation of some rules from a sponsorship point of view. So just to let you know, normally when a student exits the UK, 
and we are sponsoring them. They've, we can only really sponsor for a maximum of 60 days, okay, as long as we are happy that we can still maintain some form of engagement with them. If they're not going to come back within those 60 days, then we then withdraw their visa, okay? So they can still be registered with us for a student. And if they want to come back in the UK, then they then have to apply for a new visa. It's a bit of a pain, very expensive. So what they've allowed these students to do was to go back home. We could carry on sponsoring them, which is fantastic for us. Okay. So okay. we still had the duty of care on our shoulders. We still had to make sure that they were, that they were connected and they were remote learning, that they were okay. The support was still there for them from a pastoral side of things and everything else that we do. But it meant that, that we didn't have to negatively impact them by making them go through the visa process again. So if you look at an average undergrad student, right, um, you have to prove money a certain amount of money to come into the UK, which is like nine months worth, 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 worth of, uh, of cash, which is anywhere between a thousand and twenty pounds up to a thousand three hundred pounds a month. So for someone to get a visa, they've got to prove between nine and a half and twelve thousand pounds in the bank, right? Just to prove their living standards, their living costs. Right. Then they've got okay. their visa cost, which is around five hundred pounds, and then now they've got the quarantine cost coming back in again. So it's very expensive for them, and that's not that's not even including their fees for their course. Mm -hmm. So by allowing them, the students to go exit and be with their families, we could maintain sponsorship. So that was the first tick in the box for us. Okay. Good. It was fantastic. So with all the students, then a lot of the students went home, about 200 students stayed here just because one, they probably couldn't afford to go back home. They, they were quite happy and they were safe in their flats. They might've been at different stages of their education. So they then had all that support here. So the support mechanism that was in place was for both home students and the students that had gone back home. So what the, the home office then allowed us to do is to carry on remote learning, right? So normally the law states that you can only be an international student and get a visa if you're on a full-time face-to-face program, okay? So if you're on a re remote program, that is ostensibly called, it used to be called distance learning. So the distance mm -hmm. learning module is similar to i suppose open university style education okay where okay. you'd it'd be a lot of it would be on online so it allowed our face-to-face -face blended courses to remove to go to remote but there were some blended there were some courses that had to stay face-to-face -face or blended so blended is a mix between face-to-face -face teaching and remote teaching okay so the ones that had to be mandatory would be things like our sort of nursing courses physio courses things which had a vocational hands-on aspect right. to it. Okay. More theoretical-based courses or theory-based courses like, uh, excuse me, not the bag, so I didn't get it wrong. One, risk management, financial risk management, right? Okay. That yeah, doesn't yeah. need to be, you don't need to be here for that, okay? So some of the students then went home, quite happy with that, kind of learning. Then the challenge, the first challenge, Craig, was that not every country has got great Wi-Fi. So how do we manage that, that with, with that infrastructure issue that we that, that they had and also some of the lectures can't be delivered online for live for everyone because everyone's at different different sort of uh timelines so yeah uh, they're all at different timelines around the world so they're not all going to be able to access a course at say five in the morning or three in the morning and, and so how do they access that so all that was done quite well students were quite happy really we then supported them all the way through. Then September came for the try a starts and things started to lift a wee bit with the regards to the restrictions for COVID. So yes. some of the students then came in, um, but we did have a number of students though that they wanted to delay their entry. So what happened then is we then arranged for them to come in between September and 
January, basically, right? Because they, they, they didn't want to come in straight away, and that was fine. What we had to make sure, though, is that if they were going to delay their entry coming in and they didn't want to come in in September 2020, that they were still engaging, that they were still happy with their course, they were, they were still actually completing their, their, their modules. Because we didn't want them to come in with a visa and then actually they missed four or five weeks of study and how would we then cope with that, right? So mm -hmm. that bit was done very well. And then we went into the second lockdown and that's been more problematic is this, the most recent lockdown we've had, yeah. which has been more severe, borders really sort of closed. First Minister saying, we now recommend that you do not travel into the, into the UK. That wasn't the message last year because we came out of that lockdown in July. So by the time September came, it was actually quite loose and everyone mm -hmm. could come in to a certain extent. So this one is a bit, is a, is a bit more it's a bit more difficult to manage, I have to say, yeah. for students, because we've now got the quarantine, which is more money for them. They also need to be in by a certain date. So there is a post-study work visa called a graduate route visa. And, every, and it's a fantastic thing for students to have. Now, it hasn't come live yet for the government. What it allows a student to do is after their studies are finished, it allows them to be in the UK for two years working okay now that is massively important and twofold one for the student experience because it's great to have work experience in the uk it's sought after around the world it's seen as the as the, as the benchmark of of working environments the second thing is we are undoubtedly going to in a recession period right now and the more people that we have been with who have got skills with the ability to work will only help us to bounce out of that recession as well mm -hmm. earlier right so that's a positive, but the government have set a deadline date of everyone who started in 2020 has to be in the UK by April the 6th, right, of 2021. That's the cutoff date. So when then you, the challenge, when you match that against the first minister saying, we advise you not to enter the UK unless you have essential blended, essential courses you need to attend, some of the students, though, still want to enter the UK because they need to, they want to be eligible for this course. Okay. So it's how do we manage all of that by setting their expectations accordingly, making sure that it's safe for them to travel and, and is it essential for them to travel? And I think now we have seen that international students, them being in the UK, it is pretty essential for them to study in the UK as opposed yeah. to back home. The, the technical issues they have in a lot of the countries that we recruit from are significant um, across the board. They have sporadic internet, there's sporadic electrical issues that, that power comes on and off at given times. It's so difficult for them to access, even to access computers uh, and, and, and laptops. So we have, we have like a priority list of students who have, when they have significant issues, they have highlighted that to us. And then we have then looked at their cases, looked at their attendance, and then we've tried to get them into the, into the UK. So that's where we are right now. The important thing for the Tri-B starts in January 2021 is that they don't really need to be here until September the 27th. That's okay. their cutoff date for them to benefit from the post-study work visa. But they still want to come into the UK as well, because their country might be in a worse state than ours, COVID-wise, mm -hmm. uh, and the economy might be a lot worse. And therefore, coming into the UK, they're going to start to have that benefit of being immersed in in our culture, which is what they are. They're not just paying for the course, really, they're paying for yeah. everything else that fits with that.
tell me something about the I'll start that again. That's brilliant, Peter. That's that's a very thorough answer there. Could you tell me a bit about some of the work that your team is doing to support students that are perhaps in quarantine in Scotland at the moment? Yeah, so so that's fairly new. Is is the uh, is the uh, the need to to quarantine, and the support that we'll do, well we do a lot of the the uh, uh, communication between. So they've already got their offer. They want their CAS and they need their CAS, which is a certificate of acceptance to study. It's a document basically which goes to them or their agent, and then they use that to apply for their visa. So without the CAS, you, the CAS is given a certain amount of points. So the visa is a points-based system visa, right? So they get X amount of points for a CAS, X amount of points for uh, to prove how much money they have in their bank account. So once they have their CAS, either admissions uh, GCU will issue the CAS or in some cases, Visa will issue their CAS as well. Um, we'll do a number of checks on them to make see when they're coming in, when their preferred date of entry is. We'll uh, then have a check on how they're doing with their course to see if they're progressing well. And then we'll give them all the information with regards to their visa um, on the process for that. And then also the quarantine booking is done separately. I have to say it's a separate link, which they do, the, do themselves. Okay. Um, so, and there's not a lot of support that we can provide for that because it is a financial, it is a financial burden on them. Yeah, um, you were saying earlier about that they've got to have a lot of money put aside in case they need to go into quarantine. Yeah, I mean, it's what's it? It's one thousand seven hundred fifty pounds, I think it is, um, for 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 the first person. But yeah, so so that we they they certainly have a huge amount of information um, given to them, and they're guided throughout the whole, the whole process. And then once they once they've come in, then the other area of student support kicks in. So then we have uh, student well-being. Uh, if they if they're needing well-being services, there's accommodation. Yeah, the, the campus life team. So every, all of that is there. It is still remote, uh, I have to say, of course. But the the information that they can get hold of and the support is is pretty the same, really. You've spoken quite a lot, Peter, about the good things that the university has done to support our overseas students. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you think we could have done any better? I think at a university our size, uh, what's always going to be a challenge is is communication, I feel, and about setting expectations. Uh, and I think, I mean, you, you, you've, you've got to look at every period, every period of business in, in, any, in any discipline or any in industry, you have to review your processes every time a busy period has ended or, or even every two or three months I do it with our team. We go through a process of what's gone right, what's gone wrong. Can we change anything? And that's just because the world never stops. And what the area, our area of law is very complex and we have to make changes and adapt as the law changes. Yeah. So I think we've, if, if in hindsight, if we could look back, uh, I would probably say, in the early days last year, when when things were happening very very quickly, our speed of uh, our ability to communicate to all areas I felt was quite slow, and sometimes the messages that we're sending out they probably weren't as clear uh, as as they could have been, and I think if you look at the student market uh, and maybe people in general, they don't read rafts of information anymore. We're in a very sort of swipe swiping environment of Snapchat, Insta mentality, and everything's got to be quick and easy, right? And a lot of students, for how they communicate, really, is they look at something, they'll maybe photograph it on their phone, then they'll 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 then send that that screenshot to their mate, and then so they only get snippets of information. And there's a lot of info that comes out of the uni, right? Which is great, but it comes out that you have 
new students comes out of my directorate, then there's information from the schools, then there's information from comms, then there's information from support teams, then there's information from student records. And a lot of it is saying the same stuff, but the bit that was a little probably a wee bit confusing was at one stage, we were saying to them obviously that they weren't entering the UK because they'd all gone home. But then the next thing is we're welcoming them in saying, yeah, we're so looking forward to you coming in. Now that is a great general message because that's in September, that's what we're doing. And we wanted to welcome them in, welcome them in. But then some of the international students got a bit confused because we were saying to them, because we knew what their issues were and their difficulties and their barriers to entry. And they were saying, well, I can't come in. So why have I, why are you saying that you're looking forward to seeing me and, and when I'm not coming in? And so, that bit, I suppose, it's only a minor, but when you're looking at setting expectations, people never get upset if you set expectations accordingly of saying, if you're going to buy something and they say, actually, you're going to have it delivered in 28 days, you're not going to start getting mad at 14 days. You're going to be going at 29 <laughs> days. You're going to say, am I going to get that? Then maybe at 35 days, you'll be quite British. And go, well, I'm a little bit upset now. So, but when, when we don't set expectations, and, and, but we're working very hard behind the scenes, mm-hmm. people who don't see that work, don't really understand and that that can get balled over into frustration of saying well how come i haven't heard from you i've sent this email in and what what they did is because everyone has got christian's got such access to so many different areas to contact international teams um we are finding that students would be emailing our visa mailbox then they'd be emailing um separate people within visa and then they would then have booked an appointment with us and and attended drop-in so then when you were looking at when we look back and then we're, we're sorting out the, the mailbox, actually, we could be responding to an email that the person's probably been seen in a drop-in two days ago, mm-hmm. right? Because our turnaround time for emails is somewhere between five and seven days at times. Sometimes if it's really busy, 10 days, if it's really bad. But we all set the expectations of that, of that turnaround time. But the students just wanted answers. So I think that bit could have been probably done a little bit better. And that was emulated across the whole union, really, was... Mm-hmm. There was information coming out. It was there was a lot of info coming out, but I don't think it was necessarily in the same language, really mm-hmm. targeted. I think that that got a little bit frustrating. Not so much now because I think we learned very very quickly, and we've learned yeah. some some we've learned from that. And we're not alone, Craig. I mean, it was such a strange period last year. Things were moving so quick. The government guidance was changing literally on a sort of. Tw- fortnightly basis yeah so i'll have to write out a report saying what the new concessions are this is what we can now do that was going to different teams that had to then become a communication piece so but what we did at visa was we updated our information real time so we always had one area that we know that didn't really need sign off as such from anyone else or because there wasn't anything that sort of commercially um, sensitive about it or had to take it it was just pure this is what the guidance states now here's a link this is what it's saying in bullet form and it was really for students to get information right now if they were if they were trying to access mm-hmm. that now peter we've spoken a lot about the university's response to the coronavirus but let's talk a little bit about brexit i think brexit is perceived to be a real negative for higher education in scotland mm-hmm. and in the uk it'll restrict the movement of some students Programs yeah. like Erasmus are no longer available. Yeah. Are we right to think this? Will it be a negative for higher education? If you look at higher education across the whole UK, yes, there's going to be an impact. Are we, are we in Scotland uh, or the university going to be negatively impacted separately to everyone else? Probably not. Everyone's in the same boat, I feel. And I think when you're on a level, play, on a level playing field, the, the impact then, which uh, is then dictated by yourself and how you react to that. So 
because you know that everyone is sort of facing the same thing. Some universities will definitely be more negatively impacted because of how much they have invested or have investment from the, the EU. We don't have a huge amount of students, I have to say, on average, every year, maybe between 300 and 350 students okay. a year. I'm not, we're not, there's numbers obviously will go down because the, the lack of ease of, of movement through into the UK has ceased. Um, for those who don't have status and they need visas, that will definitely be a barrier for them. But we, we can react to that positively by making them aware of, of how easy it is to get a visa when you speak to like the visa team, because we are experts in international visas. We've been doing it with international people for 10 years. And this is just another market that's gone into international. So that's not so much of a challenge. The sector itself, though, yes, I think it is going to be overall initially worse off for this because you are definitely decreasing the amount of international activity that are hitting campuses. From a student point of view, from a staff point of view, though, there is a positive because it is certainly easier to attract international workforce because there's been a a relaxation or there's, there's the abolishment of something called the resident labor market test which is you had to meet that in order to employ someone so basically what that says is if someone's gonna there's a job that comes up in gcu uh you go for it craig and then someone who's international goes for it what the, in the old rules that have to prove why that person could get that job above you all right so it's basically in, in very very brief horrible layman terms that is the test really of, of resident labor market test that has now been abolished so you don't need to meet that requirement anymore so the new skills route that's coming uh, the worker route so tier two is sort of ended that is it's a points based again um system but you have to have a job offer but there's loads of different criteria that the salary thresholds have been reduced so all of a sudden you can you can attract international workforce in. So the way that the sector can benefit from this is that if they align their businesses and their placement providers to the courses far better across the whole board, what you could then do is have a really positive recruitment market where if you're recruiting positively from the agent network and you're sourcing students who want to be engineers and move into engineering, then the university holds them for that, for that course. And then part of that course will have, could have a placement element to it and they could go and work in, let's just choose a bit, let's choose a company out of the blue. I don't know, Scottish Hydro, for instance, right? So Scottish Hydro, then they'll go do the placement there for a year. Now, what would normally happen is after that year, that would be the student end of that placement. They then graduate, get the parchment and then either go back home or they'll try and get a job. Okay. Now, for Scottish Hydro to employ that person, they'd need to have a role definitely to fit that person. They need to be directed at that international person. So why would you need to give, let's choose a name out of the blue, Ahmed, this job and not Craig. And then uh, they have to be in their, in, their, in their plan, really. right? And there'd have to be quite a few benchmarks that have to meet. Now that has changed now. So if you align it differently and you get the businesses to understand how easy it is to recruit from a positive market, you're then having students that, your courses have far more placement opportunities. Their, their employers, their businesses are then benefiting from a very good market of business, which is a student, right? Yeah. Really? So I switched on cookie. At the end of their study period, they then, they've got the ability to then keep them and retain them for a period of time, either under the post-study work visa for two years, and then they can employ them with less restrictions and lower salary thresholds. So when you align that piece, when you work, if the sector works a lot better with industry, right? And in some courses it does because they have advisory boards, but on a whole, if every course is aligned to that, and if all courses then 
introduce this placement module because a lot of students want to have the ability to have placements. So instead of a four-year theory course, it's great to have a year out in industry. Like I did a, um, a um, LLB law degree. It would have been great if halfway through that you had a year working in a law firm or a year working with an advocate. And that, then that would give you far more. It makes more sense. I mean, theory alone is not going to make that much sense. But when you have it in a practical point of view, it makes total sense. So I think if you look at that, if you look at the relaxation of the rules of the ability to employ people, which is a positive for Brexit, okay, and then you align that to the sector, that's when it doesn't become a negative for the sector, because ostensibly you are then shaping your entire recruitment platform, which is a genuine, credible recruitment area, because you're servicing the needs of a country. So if you go back to the initial question at the start of, of the podcast of, why is it so important for Scotland to have international people? When you align that entire piece, what you're then doing is from recruitment through to industry, you're having a hotbed, really a steady conveyor belt of people that are going to be the future blood of your, of your businesses. Okay. Because you're creating easier routes for them into employment and you're not losing them back home. Now, ostensibly, the students will definitely want to go back home at some point. They, they come to do courses to benefit their community, they benefit their country. The courses that they choose are based on the infrastructure challenges that they have in their home countries, ostensibly, a lot of the time. Or it's something that they know is a, is a gap in their country, and they, they need this education to go back and then benefit. So you're not always going to keep them here, right? And that's fine. But you're certainly going to keep them here for a good period of time to benefit from their international perspective and then you're obviously you're providing them with far more skill set to then benefit their developing country and i say developing country because a lot of places where we recruit from are from still developing countries that's very interesting peter do you think we need to have a, a sort of different conversation about brexit and, and perhaps focus on the more positive aspects of it and how it can benefit the university i think yeah i, mean, I think everyone in gc when you, when you do talk about it i mean there is there's certainly the initial there's initial sort of shock and, and real feeling of, of but depending on where you voted, of course, but there is a bit of a shock and you feel let down the fact that you have yeah. to do all this. And I think becoming a smaller, becoming a secular, smaller thing um, in a world that ostensibly has come, it's easier to get around the globe these days. Why would you want to then come out of that? It's quite a worry when there's a lot of sort of turmoil in the world right now. And I think that safety within the EU was always something that felt quite comfortable, but the EU has got its challenges. I mean, it's in dire need of reform. So it, the machine and the model doesn't exactly work to the benefit of everyone, every member state there. Um, so yeah, there are certainly some things which it's not, it, it happened, right? And that's it. I think if you, if you want to dwell on something, it's never going to change the outcome. Yeah. yeah. So we're here. The only thing we can do is look at what's available. And the government did react very quickly to bring in new visa roles. So we've got the global talent visa, which is very good. We've got the health visa now, which directs visas just for nursing. We have startup programs for entrepreneurs. We have innovative visas. So there is a lot for people. There's a lot of routes for people to come into the UK. It's not a case where they've shut borders. They've actually, what they've done at the shutting of borders is they've actually released a lot of the restrictions to employment is what I feel has happened, looking at the positives. Where do you think we'll be in five years' time? That's a really good question. I'm hoping that we're going to become far more internationalized in our mindset. I think because we're going to have no option but to really look at inward uh, of, of invest countries that want to invest in us. Um, because 
not every area of the UK has a massive commodity uh, that people want to invest in. There's a lot of land in some areas, like in Scotland, but there is also a, a very advanced workforce and a very, uh, well, it's, we're one of the, obviously the leading uh, economies within the EU anyway, right? And in, in the world right now. So I think in five years time, what I'd like to probably see is a reconnection of some of the rich, the routes that we had, the trade routes that we had, new partnerships um, thriving up. But I'd like us to be in a, in a situation where we maintain our integrity for the right things, that we don't lose the importance of the employment laws and employment rights for people that was effectively enshrined by EU law. We don't, we don't abandon the Human Rights Act. We still really care about the value of people. So I hope it's not going to go into a melee of just churning trade into business. Hell mend will just make some money. Because I think it's only going to benefit a handful of people who are in that industry. I think it, in five years' time, in my sort of like blue skies and happy days head <laughs> i just see a lot more investment coming in in into the uk especially scotland if you look at scotland scotland is, a, is aligned in, in industry and, and in commerce really to pakistan okay and not a lot of people know that but there's huge communities there um the links between of, of research and phd and students is is huge gone back years and that would be really good to for scotland to be a part of a country as it develops as well and scotland and pakistan has its challenges and other countries as well that we recruit from in india and nigeria and ghana and other places that are really trying to get a foothold and move forward and that's really interesting for us in scotland because we are such a multicultural country we're so small but we really do punch quite high with with why people want to come in it's not just about castles kilts and whiskey there is something which is far more about the people you look around glasgow look how that's changed in 25 years like when yeah. i first in the navy and our ship came into dry dock it's a very different place in glasgow than it is right now and i think that all started when i think glasgow got the city of culture and then it's moved on from there then the positive i find as well there's a huge amount of asylum activity after the Iraq war between sort of 2003 onwards to 2018. And that uh, then you had communities that were already struggling like financially, like, like money problems and, and not a lot of opportunity for jobs. And then people from the asylum, who are seeking asylum and refugees were in were then rehoused in these areas. Now I think that could have gone one or two ways. And what it went, the way it went was actually there was a huge embracing of cultures because everyone really has that mentality of being in the same sort of boat and really fighting and punching above our weight of trying to get our voice out and our identity out there. So I think Scotland, I think, is going to be in a very good position because I think Scot Scot Scottish government are very open to, to, external, to external countries. Their diplomacy and their, their advocacy skills are really linked into what the UK needs. I probably personally would like that to be the area of concentration and not so much the concentration on becoming a separate entity from the rest of the UK. I, I find that a little bit difficult of how we're going to survive. Uh, do we really want to jump back into bed with the EU that has its own issues and, and reform problems? But I think Scotland could be in a positive place in five years. I think the UK could be in a positive place in five years uh, as long as we do embrace the fact that international people have to play a part in our success and our survival. That's brilliant, Peter. That's a very optimistic note for us to finish on. As always, hugely enlightening, hugely illuminating, and I've learned a lot from listening to it. So thank you very much for taking the time out to talk to me today. That's a pleasure, Craig. Thanks for your time. 
I'd also like to thank everyone who's listened to this episode and I do hope you can join us again very soon when we will be talking with another member of staff from Glasgow Caledonian University. In the meantime, make sure you've subscribed to this podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you're listening to us from. Until then, I've been Craig Telfer and this has been the Common Good Podcast. Mm-hmm.